I came in early. It was a Thursday. There wasn't much to do. I wrote to a client. Still no break in the Gelatalia case. Have surveilled two afternoons a week for four months. Under my watch, at least, Gelatalia has stolen no vehicle of any sort. My recommendation? I continue to surveil for another month at $500. I sharpened some pencils. I never seem to use them, but I like to have them around to sharpen them. Out of habit, I started a song. It was to the tune of Row, Row, Row Your Boat, more or less. I'm a detective sharpening and stuff, waiting for the phone to ring and doing other stuff. Did I rhyme stuff with stuff? So sue me. I had already written 10,000 crappy songs. One more wasn't going to end the world. Besides, I wasn't a songwriter anymore. I was a detective. I bet J. Edgar Hoover never sat around writing songs. The phone rang. Yes, I said in a high-pitched British voice. Is this the detective group? said a voice, female. It is, I said. I'd like to come up and talk to someone. I'll buzz you in, I said. Whenever someone rang downstairs, I used a high-pitched British voice. I was unable to afford a receptionist, but it looked bad if you didn't have one. Three little knocks at the door. Ba-ba-boom. I started to think of something in waltz rhythm. Then I let it go. Come in, I said from behind my desk. She entered. Very young. Sixteen? Seventeen? Where's the receptionist? She's out. Just me. Can I help you? She looked around. This is the detective group? This is it, I said. Where's the group? We're going to be growing, I said. We're looking to expand. Uh, Now, may I help you? What if I need to use the bathroom, she said. Do you, I said. No, but if I do? I pointed to a key on a hook by my desk. Down the hall on your left. Well, she said. She was tall and straight and very direct. Where can I sit, she said. I pointed to the beanbag chair. She shrugged and folded herself into my red beanbag chair. She took a breath. I want you to bring back my dad. I see, I said. When did you last see him? She scrunched up her face. This morning? A fresh abduction? Was there a note? He wasn't kidnapped. He's around. It's just... I finished her thought for her. It's just he's somewhere else. He's sitting there, but he doesn't really seem to be there. She blinked. Do you always do that, she said. Do what? Finish people's thoughts. Pardon me, I said. Uh, Please express yourself in your own way. Well, anyway, she said. That's about right. He's there, but he's not. Something's on his mind. I'm afraid he has another wife, a whole other set of kids. It's possible, I said. I've encountered it not a few times. Not any times would have been more accurate, but I was building a business. 
Maybe it's something else, she said. Maybe it's nothing, but I think he has another family. What makes you think that? I don't know. What else could it be, really? Her question hung in the air. Obviously, it could be a lot of things. Anyway, she said, can you tail him and find out what's going on? Perhaps, I said. How much can you afford to spend? I have fifty dollars, she said. I could probably get another fifteen. Fifty bucks. How many minutes do you want me to tail him for fifty bucks? How many minutes? I guess I could squeeze in an hour, I said. I need you to find out what's going on, she said, for as long as it takes. I don't mean to be indelicate, miss, but fifty bucks is not going to go very far. Whatever, she said. I I'll find more. Whatever. Can we start? Okay, I said. What's your dad's name? His given name was Makashua Hashagawi, she said. Yes, but he goes by the name Hal Shu. Hal Shu? She could have tossed a hand grenade in my face. Hal Shu! Hal Shu, if you didn't know, was at one time the world's greatest conceptual artist. He once suspended a 40-foot cross from London's Tower Bridge, tied himself to it, lit it, then dropped into the Thames, where he swam one mile to Kingsbury, crawled out, rode a unicycle 32 miles to the south coast, then walked backward 21 miles to the White Cliffs of Dover, where he spray-painted a 300-foot moose onto the famed cliffs while suspended from a crane. A big red moose. I knew all about Hal Shoe. He once cut off a finger and put it through a machine which disassembled the finger into its atomic parts, then reassembled it in the next room. The finger was sewn back onto Shoe's hand where it sadly withered and died. But the stunt was considered a great success. I also knew that Hal Shoe had made a fortune and pissed it away on some land deal, some Madoff thing, and that he was trying to make it as a pop singer, with little success. And here was his daughter, with fifty bucks, wanting me to tail him. Fifty bucks, I said. And expenses. Whatever, he said. Two. The next afternoon, I went into the bowl. It was a combination cafe and bowling alley. Hal Shue eats lunch there every day, Una Shua told me. It seemed a strange place for a person like Hal Shue to eat every day. It seemed like a strange place for anyone to eat, but it had the best rice in town. That's how they advertise, and that at least is how Hal Shue felt about it. I thought it would be good to go and bowl a few games the first time I went there. The next time, when I came to the lunch counter, it would look like I was there to bowl and then got hungry. So I bowled two games. I bowled a 138 and then a 135. Not bad, but not great either. I hadn't been bowling in a while. At one time, I took great pride in my bowling. I was in a league in ninth grade. Bowling then was not some casual thing. In ninth grade, if you're in a league, there will be some fights. So now to come in and bowl a 138 and a 135, I wasn't too thrilled. I left the bowl just before noon. Hal Shu was sitting at the counter, eating a bowl of rice. I got close enough to notice that he was reading the Herald Examiner. 
Why would Hal Shu be sitting in downtown L.A. with a Valley newspaper? There's clue number one, I thought, as I walked through the swinging doors and outside. The next morning, I was back again. This time, I bowled a 139 and a 165. My accuracy was returning. In the 165 game, I had six spares. I even picked up a small 4-6 split. I went to the counter and sat down. Al Shu was reading the downtown news. And clue number two, the guy was not loyal to a newspaper. Was he similarly disloyal to his wife? The waiter came over. I ordered some soup and a grilled cheese sandwich and a ginger ale. And could I have a bag of ice for my shoulder, I said. Suddenly, Hal Shu turned to look at me. Bag of ice for your shoulder, he growled. Too much bowling for you? Not used to it, huh? You trying to keep an eye on me? Tailing me? You wouldn't be a detective, would you? He rose and threw down a few bills. Thanks, guys, he said, nodding to the waiter. In a little while, my food came, and the ice for my shoulder. I ate my lunch and iced my shoulder. Three. Una Shu was back in my office. Have you sent other detectives to the bowl to spy on your father? I challenged her. She smiled a little. Maybe. So you've done this before? Maybe. Well... I was obviously not your first choice. Anyway, you owe me some expenses. Four games of bowling and lunch. Mm, call it 20 bucks. Put it on the bill. Now what? I don't know. He knows I'm a detective. That's not good. But he doesn't know for sure. No, I said. I guess not. So, what now? I don't know, she said. What now? I don't know. I said. Four. Hal Shu had fallen in hard times. His former notoriety should have provided a comfortable existence. But his money was gone and no one was lining up to give him more. Maybe that's how he wanted it. Maybe he needed the pressure to be creative. Who knew? He was trying to be a pop singer. Maybe you can go hear him sing, suggested Una. When and where does he sing? How should I know? I think sometimes at the Paper Doll downtown. A real dump. You could try there. I phoned the Paper Doll. No answer. Legwork. Ugh. Nero Wolf had solved cases sitting at his desk. How did he do it? And that was before Google and Wikipedia. I drove down Temple, turned right at Grand, and parked across from the Paper Doll. The paper doll stood next to the Grand Market, which was grand in name only. A bunch of bad fast food places all scrunched together. It was across from Angel's Flight, a one-block-long rail car that had been renovated to give people the feeling that it was still 1934. Most bars seemed dingy in the middle of the afternoon. The paper doll would have been dingy no matter what. There was tape on the chairs... The carpet looked like it had been there since the war. Some long-ago war. The bartender was staring out the window, slowly wiping glasses. 
Hi, I said. The bartender barely looked up. You have music here? I asked. He shrugged. If you want to call it that. When does it start? Round ten. When could I hear Hal Shoe? Finally, he looked at me. Why would you want to hear Hal Shoe? I'm a fan. <laughs> you and nobody. He looked at a little chart on the wall beside his register. Mm, Monday night, midnight. Prime spot, huh? I said. Yeah, he said. Prime spot. I would have to wait three days to see Hal Shoe sing at the Paper Doll. Of course, I had plenty of other work to do. I could go surveil Gelatalia. I could stake out the candy store for Pez Thieves. I could sharpen pencils. I checked my watch. 4.30 in the afternoon. Well past lunch. I figured the coast was clear. I went to the bowl. Bowled a couple. 1.45, 1.12. First game, it felt like I was getting somewhere. Five spares. Second game, I felt a twinge in my shoulder. Had some rice. Iced my shoulder. 10,000 Crappy Songs is brought to you by Peaches. Peaches, they're just good. This episode written and voiced by Dan Byrne. Produced by Dan Byrne and Will Massasak. Songs by Dan Byrne. The show's theme music and score written by Will Massasak and Dan Byrne. If you like the show, there's no mystery as to what to do. Just visit us at danburn.com, look for the donate button, and donate. Thanks. Tune in next time for another edition of 10,000 Crappy Songs. Yeah.